Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in with us today, and we hope that you'll uh, be blessed today by uh, learning more things from the Bible. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. This is a passage from 2 Timothy 3.16. The only reason for us to put together these Bible studies is that we may be blessed and we may be draw closer to God. There is no other intention, as sometimes people are thinking that if you share the Bible, the good news with other people, you have a hidden agenda or intentions. Now, we are happy to share with you the gospel, and I hope that you'll be blessed today. I would like to thank you, my panel, today for coming together via Zoom. We are still in a isolation kind of thing, but uh, we are happy to still do it via Zoom. Thank you, everyone, for coming together today, and I would like to welcome Will. Thank you. Glad to be here. And also uh, Helen. Fantastic to be here too. Thank you for the invitation. Okay, Len. Yes, hello listeners. Welcome to the program. And Lija. It's great to be here to study God's Word. And I'd like especially to thank Ken today because he's uh, our facilitator taking on board on this Bible study. Ken, thank you for um, working hard to put this together and uh, with no further comments, I would like to just pass the microphone to you and welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's Bible study. Today, we are looking at language, texts, and context. The Bible is an amazing book and has great stories, lessons, and guidance for all who would follow Christ. But sometimes people only read one or two verses or perhaps only hear a small part of the scripture and take the wrong information from this. It is so important to understand what the outline of the book you are reading is all about. For example, the book of Daniel was filled with history and prophecy, which tells us events from Daniel's time right down to our present day and the soon return of Jesus. But if you were to only read a few verses, you may think this was written for the people thousands of years ago, and therefore you would miss very important information that relates to our present day. Also, you need to look into other parts of the Bible which tie into the book you are reading. Again, if you were reading Daniel and then looked at Revelation, you would see that these two books go hand in hand with each other, but you need to study the Bible. It's not something you can learn in five minutes. Also, before you begin to read the Bible, you should always pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and help you search out those things you are looking for. Time does not permit us to go deeply into our study today, so we will touch on each subject lightly. We will be looking at understanding the Bible, key words and their meanings, repetition, word patterns and meaning, texts and context, books and meaning. But before we start today's study, I'm going to ask Lecha to open with the word of prayer. Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much for all the blessings that we receive from you always. Thank you, Father, for your love towards us. We bring you thanks. 
we bring you honor and glory and praise because you are worthy, because you are our Father, a very loving Father. Please stay with us, remain with us as we study your Holy Word now and uh, bless every one of us with your Holy Spirit in our hearts to understand your words, to understand the meaning of the Scripture, the loving letter that you gave it to us to live and to become wise and to understand and know you more. Father, please bless all the listeners that are are going to listen to this discussion of your Holy Word and please bless everyone to understand your words and to know you more and, and to love you. Father, thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, Leitcha. Uh, we're going to start off this morning, Will. Would you start off the reading the first verse today? Yes, thank you. And, and commenting on your statement with regard to the Bible being relevant today, and not just a book for the old times, I think that we can all testify that the Bible has its power to change lives, even today. We've seen that miracle of change. And the context of uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 16 to 17 that I'm going to read, is the Apostle Paul commending uh, Timothy for his knowledge of the Scriptures. In fact, he says in the, from verse 15, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He commends Scripture in verse 16 by saying, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's really, really interesting verse, that one. What insights can we gain from Paul's letter to Timothy? Well, there's quite a list of things that the scriptures are good for. First of all, doctrine. Well, what that means is a correct understanding of God and God's dealings with mankind, about origins and a whole lot of things. For reproof, the word of God points out what is good, what is bad. For correction, well, it shows us how, when we've gone bad, how we can go right. Instruction in righteousness, it tells us how we should live. So the Word of God is a very useful thing to have, of course, if people obey it. If they, if they disregard it, well, it doesn't mean much to them, does it? That's a good point, Lance. It's very true. It is very important that all of the Scriptures make us all wiser if we study them and adhere to them. Hey, Ken, just on that one, what do you reckon we can take out of this particular passage when we look at the words like all scripture. Why it's so important to emphasize on this, all scripture? Because today I heard lots of Christians uh, mentioning that we are um, Christians of the New Testament. I mean, why it's important all scripture? Should we just not bother about the Old Testament and all those difficult things maybe to read or sometimes people say boring things like in Numbers or in 
Leviticus sometime. Why it's important to have? I, I think Nick. I think Nick. It's it's a bit like uh, if you look at the context of building a building. All we generally see is the top of the building, but we don't see the foundation below the ground usually. And I think this applies also to the Bible. If you just take the New Testament without going into the Old Testament and learning what all the foundations are, I think you can miss a lot of stuff. Not only that, but misunderstand a lot of stuff. And it, you may not perhaps have the proof what it's all about, especially when it comes to prophecy, because the Old Testament, the New Testament, really tied in with each other. It's like making a recipe. You have to put all the ingredients in to get the end result. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, Helen? I believe, as the scripture says, that all scripture is inspired by God, all of it. The Old Testament was looking towards the fulfillment of a lot of the prophecies, um, especially concerning Christ. So it was looking towards the cross. The New Testament, we look back on the cross because it has been fulfilled. And each, um, the old and the new, they complement each other. I don't think that you can have one without the other and get the full truth. Yes, I agree with that. And I like that illustration, Ken, with the foundation, because if we look into the New Testament, it's almost, it's like a transportable, you know, a build on the site ready to be moved somewhere, you know, if doesn't, if you don't see the foundation. That's true. Uh, Leecher, we'll have you next, and Liam, you can come after that one. To me, the Old Testament is linked to the New Testament like to a chain because the Old Testament contains lots of history. So without that history, the New Testament doesn't have much meaning. I think that's an excellent example that you've given of the Old Testament, New Testament being a chain. It's Yeah, that's an excellent example, I believe. And there used to be a popular song on the radio the words of which went something like this, love and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Later on in the song, it says you can't have one without the other. It's no good having a carriage with no horse in it. We don't go anywhere. And it's no good having a marriage with no love in it. So I see the Bible, which consists of both Old and New Testament, like a horse and carriage, like a love and marriage, and lots of other things like uh, would be similar to that. I think it also makes sense to me that God, who is creator of all things, he's obviously put the Old Testament there for a purpose, and it just wasn't for people back thousands of years ago. So as the scriptures clearly told us, all scripture is profitable onto those who would follow Christ. Then you're going to read Deuteronomy for us? Yes, I'm reading from the New International Version. It's um, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verses 46 and 47. It says this, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now these words were spoken by Moses to the Israelites when they were just on the point of crossing the Jordan to go into the 
the promised land. But he said something very, very important. Take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day. In other words, don't treat what I've said lightly. He also said to these people, you command your children to do the same. And then he said something very special. They are not just idle words. They're not something that you can sort of toss away, like we call a throwaway line, for example. These are important. In fact, then he said, they are your life. If you live by these things that I've told you from the Lord, you will have a very good life. And one of those things says, he said, you'll live long. You'll live long lives because you're doing the right thing. I think a lot of people ought to take notice of this. A lot of people are getting sick prematurely because they don't follow the right instructions about how to live on all sorts of aspects, uh, like medical advice. If you follow this course, you should be healthy. And that's what God wants us to be, healthy. He wants us to be holy and he wants us to be happy. Oh, there you've answered that one very well. Panel, does anyone else want to add anything to this? Yeah, Helen? Yes, I agree with what Len was saying, and I like the way you finished it up with the uh, three H's there, Len. (laughs) Yeah, Moses certainly urged the people to think about God's word and to teach it to their children. But, you know, the Bible can sit on the bookshelf, and it sadly does, and gathers dust in many people's homes. And Or we can make it a vital part of our life by regularly setting aside time to study it. And when we discover the wisdom of God's message, it's amazing how we will want to apply it to our life and pass it on to our family and others. You know, the Bible is not merely good reading. It can be a real help for real life. I think one of the interesting things about the Bible, I I tend to look at it like it's a workshop manual being a tradesperson. And I know many people, when they buy a new appliance, they go and plug it in or start to use it and can't get it to work right. And the last thing they look at usually is the instruction manual. And I think life is like that as well. We, We go through life and we have all these challenges. And it's sometimes only when we reach a really deep and dark spot that we reach for the Bible or reach for God. And, and we, we look in then where if we had started sooner and really applied ourselves, we could have lived perhaps much richer and more blessed in life. Somebody once used the, the word Bible for an acronym and said the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Yeah, that's very good. Yes. Well, I love what was written um, about 200 years ago by the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He says, uh, the word of God lives and abides forever. And then he says, how many of us have found this to be most certainly true? A large proportion of human books, that's the books we find in the libraries, you see, a large proportion of the human books are long ago dead and even shriveled like Egyptian mummies. The mere course of the years has rendered them worthless. Their teaching is disproved, and they have no life for us. Then he says, entomb them in your uh, public libraries, if you will, but henceforth they will stir no man's pulse and warm, warm no man's heart. But 
this thrice-blessed book of God, that's the Bible, though it has been amongst us these many hundreds of years, is immortal in its life, unwithering in its strength. The dew of its youth is still upon us. Its speech still drops as rain fresh from heaven. Its truths are overflowing founts of ever fresh consolation. Never a book spake like this book. Its voice, like the voice of God, is powerful and full of majesty. Do you have a comment? Beautiful. I uh, was given a poem once, which I still have, which likened the Bible to an anvil and the attacks on the Bible as hammers. Now, some people mightn't even have a clue what an anvil is, but it's a great big lump of iron used for shaping hot metal, like horseshoes. And the poem likens the Bible, as I said, to an anvil and the attacks as hammers. And it talks about the anvil wearing out the hammers. The hammers are all worn out, but the anvil stands firm and intact. And I see the Bible like that. It wasn't just for people of long ago. It's for people these days. People are still people. They still need instruction. And the Bible gives the best instruction for us all. I think to many people who don't know the Bible are actually missing out on a treasure. But, of course, these days in particular, everyone is so busy and they've got so many other things to take up their time. If we were to look into the Bible, which is still the world's best-selling book, even in 2020, it's really quite amazing today. But there's such a treasure trove of things in the Bible that people would just take a bit of time and, and apply themselves to it. And talking of applying ourselves, Handel, how can we learn to appreciate and apply the Word of God to our lives more than we have in the past? Any uh, comments on that, Nick? I just uh, can, on the, particularly on the passage in Deuteronomy, uh, in chapter um, 32, Verse 46. It's interesting because uh, it's mentioning, it's mentioned here that take to heart all those words of warning I have given you today and pass them on as a command to your children so they will obey every word of these instructions. I can see something here that God gives us the Bible during the time in the history it was different language used to understand this word, different text and context. What is important if you are called to pass on these teachings to the next generation is to understand correctly. And that's what we are calling, called to understand the Bible. And to understand the Bible, you really need to, to focus on its content. You cannot understand something just casually listen here and there, you know, going once in a while to the church or hear a good sermon. You know, you really need to study the Bible because we have a responsibility to pass it on. And no wonder that uh, in the days we live, there is that disconnection in between the generation. You know, people are, are not on the same page because this is disconsidered. The word of God is not, is not passed on from the parents to the children and, and so on and so forth. And we have those gaps 
and we call them conflict of generations. I believe if we really understand and apply the Bible, we'll have much better lives together on this earth in between cultures and uh, whatever else. That's very true, Nick. I think one of the other fascinating things I, I just can't believe is there's many people go to churches these days and they don't even read the Bible themselves. They just listen to whoever's giving the word, but they don't actually check anything out in their own Bible, even if they have one. Helen, you had a comment? Yeah, I fully agree with what Nick was saying. But your question also said, how can we learn to appreciate and apply the word of God in our lives more than we have in the past? I think for my own um, personal, more understanding of the Bible came when I was praying earnestly before I opened the word that the Holy Spirit would give me understanding. And then I would read a few texts and then I would then ask again, what does this mean to my life and how can I apply it? Of myself, I cannot do that. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he leads and guides me. So the Bible becomes more and more real to me. And um, it's, it becomes interesting that, you know, we're to look at the cross and follow the cross. And, and a very simplified illustration was when I was learning to swim. And I can remember I thought I wasn't going to make the end of the pool and I saw the lines underneath the pool that um, crossed over at the top and looked like a cross to me. And I kept thinking, if I can just get to the cross, I will make it. And that was an application from something I had read in the Bible in the morning. So I think there are many ways we can apply it in our life, but the most important thing is to get into the word and be guided through the Holy Spirit. Very good. I think one way to appreciate and to apply the Word of God is simply read it. Um, I'd like to uh, tell you about a gentleman by the name of Jack Blanco. He decided he wanted to read the Bible. He had read it before, but he thought, I'll read it differently. Every verse I will write down and put it in my own words. And this took him a period of a few years. And when he'd finished it, and uh, obviously he showed somebody else. They said, this is beautiful. So they uh, published it. Now, it's a paraphrase, of course, in his own words. This is really wonderful too. It depends how serious you are, uh, if, how much you want to understand it. But if you write it in your own words, or at least you interpret it in your own words, that's a real blessing for me too. Richard, do you want to say something? Yes. Having the Word of God written in, you, in your own hands and in your house, being able to be read at any time, it's a really, real blessing. Because if we look behind in history, there were times when people couldn't write and read. And secondly, nobody, I mean, not everybody had the opportunity to hold a Bible in their own hands to read for themselves anytime they want and to understand the word. And there were, I believe that there will, um, there will be times in the future when the liberty of the having the scripture in your hands would come to a, an end. So it's a real privilege to have the word of God the living word in your hands to be read mm. in our days. 
Just quickly before you move on, uh, Ken, uh, because Len brought up a very interesting uh, aspect of uh, the Word of God and mentioning uh, the paraphrased versions. And it's interesting because you can fall into two dangerous extremes, even to be too rigid to the Bible, you know, just not to allow the Bible to explain itself, uh, uh, not to take it out, you know, I mean, in the context and take it too much out of context. But also, on the other hand, you can be too, how to say, open and allow to the Bible to say anything and interpret in any way. And I think these are both extremes. Now, it's nothing wrong to, to apply the Bible to yourself as you feel it, you know. But when you publish something, and uh, I was just referring to what Leno saying, when you publish the Bible and many other people are exposed to that uh, uh, paraphrase, that you can create a big problem for those people if they don't have the whole background of the Bible. That's why it's important to allow the Bible as God is guiding it. The Holy Spirit. You know, God kept the Bible through the dark ages, through the terrible times. He kept it alive. And God inspired people to put together uh, the Word of God as can be useful for us all. That's uh, that's my uh, my concern about the paraphrase. The if if it's published, and people yeah can be can be just confused with that. Well, those are very good comments from all the panel. We have to move on. Time is racing on as usual. We're looking at key words and their meanings. The first word we will look at is mercy and loving kindness. Helen, would you like to read Psalm fifty-seven for us, verse one to three? Yes, I'd be delighted to do that. I'm reading from the King James Version, and it says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be past. I will cry unto God most high, and to God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And his mercy encompasses, I believe, the loving kindness as well. But um, I think we've got another text to come up before that. But we just need to, to look at these words. It means more than just the word mercy. It means um, forgiveness. It means clemency. It's, it's just an amazing word, especially when it refers to God. And Leecher, would you read Psalm 143, verse 8 for us? Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Here we have, to me, it's very important because it's it's giving me the desire to look into the word of God since morning. The first thing in the morning when I wake up, to look into the word of God that is saying here, show me the way I should go. So if I ask God in the morning, first thing in the morning for his guidance, in his word, he's showing me and he's guiding me. Well, can you give me a few examples of mercy and loving kindness anywhere else in the Bible that comes to mind? Well, I'll answer the question. Uh, there are other examples of mercy and loving kindness. I want to give two. Number one, Joseph. 
His brothers wanted to kill him. Eventually they sold him. Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt and through him thousands, probably even hundreds of thousands of people survived the big drought that occurred in Egypt and that region. His brothers came to Egypt seeking help, food they wanted. Joseph could have uh, sought revenge on his brothers, but instead he treated treated them with loving kindness. Very good. I think there's another example too, Ken. Um, When you think of the example of Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I was thinking of Stephen when he was being stoned. What did he say? He asked to forgive the people that were stoning him to death. And there again is, is an example. I mean, he followed the example of Jesus, doesn't he? And that's what we need to do. Right. I just want to read a little bit on that Hebrew word, mercy. The actual Hebrew word for mercy is chest, is one of the richest and most profound words in the Old Testament. It describes God's love, loving kindness, mercy, and confident attitude towards his people. In these few passages, we have seen him show great mercy. He has continued with great kindness. Entire books have been written on the word chess, trying to capture the depth of God's mercy and love towards us. Now, could I get Will? Could you read uh, Psalm 29, verse 11 for us? Yes, we're going on to the word peace now. And uh, it says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And Len, would you like to do Isaiah 9 and 6 and Isaiah 26 and 3? Certainly. Isaiah 9 and 6. This is a prophecy about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, here is a song of praise addressed to the Lord, and it says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. Now, I want to uh, just give a little personal testimony here. I realize that we live in a world that's filled with violence and trouble. It's very hostile. There are all sorts of things. There are scammers. There are diseases and conflicts of all kinds. And yet in that, because of my trust in the Lord, I'm not naive about this, but the Lord decides for me is that have actually felt this in my own life and I guess other panel members have experienced just the same. I think that's so interesting, Len, because there are many Christians out there who who have this inner peace and all hell could be going on around them, but yet inside they have confidence in the Lord because they know whatever happens, they are in his hands and he will look after them uh, according to his will. I'm just going to read a little bit on this piece. Again, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It's often translated as peace, 
But the meaning of the word is much deeper and broader than this. It can be translated as wholeness, completeness, and well-being. God's blessings and graciousness keep us in a state of shalom, which is a gift from God. It is a profound blessing to welcome the Sabbath day with the words Sabbath shalom, for our communion with God provides the ultimate peace and wholeness that our lives desire. Hal, can you share any other examples of peace that you have felt in your life? I think that uh, peace is inextricably linked to assurance. Uh, You cannot have peace without some sort of assurance. And uh, it always, I'm always marveled that the, uh, at history, uh, some of the great uh, Christian martyrs who were taken to the flames, I can think of people like Savonarola and uh, Huss and Jerome and so on, they actually were found singing in the flames. And I always wondered about that. They have had to have had a peace and assurance in their hearts to, uh, to, to face that sort of tragedy. Yeah, I'd like to mention, you said, you know, have any of us experienced that peace? I've had several times, but very briefly, um, I think I've mentioned this before, when we were in a plane crash up in Papua New Guinea, um, I like the words that, that uh, we'll just use, the assurance, you know, peace brings assurance. And I had that assurance that day. We didn't know if we were going to survive the crash or what was going to happen whether the plane was going to burst into flames or, or whatever. And I had that such assurance on Christ, it didn't really matter whether I lived or died. It was just the most amazing peace that he gave me at that moment. And because of the peace I felt, that was transmitted to my child, and he wasn't frightened either. It is an amazing peace. Shalom. Excellent. The next word we're going to look at is grace, and I think, Helen, you're going to read Ephesians 3 and verse 7 to 8 for us. Yes, I'm happy to do that. Ephesians 3, 7 and 8 from the King James says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am least and the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, there's so much in those two texts, um, Ken. It's just an amazing text. And when Paul describes himself as the least deserving of God's people, he means that without God's help, he would never be able to do God's work. And yet God chose him to share the good news with the Gentiles and, and gave him the power to do it. And sometimes we might feel that our roles are minor and we may be right, except that we've forgotten what a difference God makes in in what we do. You know, how does God want to use you? How does he want to use me? And I think it's important that we always draw on his power to do our part and faithfully perform the special role God has called us to play in his plan, just as Paul did. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, totally amazing because I, I can never get my head around that the God of this universe is interested in each and every one of us. It's just it's too big a thing for me to understand, to be honest with you all. But anyway, Leach, are you going to uh, read John 1 and verses 14 to 16 for us? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who come from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he whom I said, 
He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. So John is talking here about Jesus, that the word became flesh and was dwelling among us. So here is is talking really about Jesus. Panel, is there any word, any other word we could use for grace? I was just thinking when I looked up Strong's definition of of grace as used back in the Hebrew, um, it mentioned, it said, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. I just thought that was a beautiful way of putting it. Grace, the divine influence upon the heart. But there are lots of other words we could use. And one word that I often hear banded around is unmerited favour. In other words, we don't deserve, but God gives. And because of his unfailing love, his unconditional love, he gives us grace. And I think I remember telling you a a little illustration of a policeman who pulled me over. And to start with, God had blessed me with a check I wasn't expecting for $500. When they pulled me over, I hadn't noticed I'd gone through a stop sign. And the amount that they were going to charge me was $500. So I had a miracle from God, but the grace came in when, when the policeman said, look, we're not going to um, put this through as a fine. We've just put it through as a warning. That was grace, mm. unmerited favour. I didn't deserve it. I did something wrong, but they gave it to me, and God does that to us. I think one of the amazing things uh, I think of grace is the forgiveness of sins. Mm. Uh, that's just the most amazing thing if they go into the heavens. Um, we're going to look at uh, another word now, and that is love, and in particular, agape love. Nick, would you read for us John 3 and verse 16? Yes. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's quite amazing. Len, would you read for us 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1? Yes. Well, I wanted to say this first. The Bible tells us about God's dealings with mankind. And some people look at some of the punishments given to disobedient people and they say, well, how can God be love? But God is love. God has proved his love over and over again. But I want to read First John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, when I think about this, sometimes when I'm working in the garden, I'll come across what they call is a curl grub. It's one of those little white grubs that lives in the ground. If you touch them, they curl up. They're bits of nuisances. Now, I liken what this verse is talking about is that God is likened to a human, and I am likened to a curl grub. And in the case of God and man, God has said we are his children. It's like me saying to a curl grub, well, you're one of my children. I love you. I'm going to look after you. Well, I don't actually think about curl grubs that way. But then it says the reason the world does not know us is that he did we that it did not know him. And I'd like to suggest that the world doesn't know God either because very often those who carry his name 
his children don't represent him correctly. We have responsibility to others to present what God is like, and God is love. And that's very good. We also read in the scriptures that God tells us that if you have not love in your heart, you do not know God, because, mm. of course, God is love. And this agape love that we particularly talk about is a love that's so deep that you just can't find the bottom of it. And it's so amazing because God loved us first. He gave a son for us and he wants us to be with him. And it's a love I don't think many of us will ever understand. Yeah, yeah just quickly on that one. When you read John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world. I'm trying to say we cannot even grasp the price which was paid to Jesus' blood to rescue the whole world, not only, uh, you know, a million people or, you know, the whole world. What was the value in Jesus' blood? I think, Nick, it, it comes back again to what I said earlier on. I don't think any of us can grasp the depth of God's love. It just goes beyond our understanding. I'm challenged by a statement in Job chapter 25 where Bildad, one of his friends, Bildad the Shuhite, is talking about human beings. And he says in verse 8, how much less man who is but a maggot, a son of man who is only a worm. You know, maggot is a worm that eats dead things and a worm, you know, just going on what you've said, Len, um, and then in contrast, Jesus comes and First uh, John 3, which we've read already, says, Now are we the children of God. Bildad, the Shuite, says, we're but a worm. God says, no, by my grace and by my love, I'm elevating you to sit with me on my throne. You are sons and daughters of God. What a tremendous transition. Yes, that's so true. Words in scripture always occur in a natural context. They do not stand by themselves. A word has its intermediate context within a sentence, and it is this unit that needs to be understood first. Then there is the wider context of the overall unit in which the sentence occurs. This may be a section of writing, a chapter, or a series of chapters. It is essential to understand as well as possible the context of words and sentences in order not to arrive at erroneous conclusions. Ben, would you like to read for us Genesis 1 and verse 27? I'd like to read 26 as well. Okay. This is uh, a verse relating to the creation, and verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, of the livestock over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I'd like to point out that this verse talks about the origins of human beings, that we weren't just slime in a pond, that we were a special creation by God, both male and female. Now, it talks about in the image of God. Now, I don't actually know what God looks like. I know that Jesus took on human form, but I believe at least this, that man was made to be righteous, good, and noble. 
And I believe that image is what we are supposed to be, righteous and good and noble. And that's an interesting one. It reminds me of Micah in 6.8, and it says that he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah. Remind me of that one. Leachie, would you like to read Genesis 2 and verse 7 for us? Yes. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And later we also read Genesis two fifteen and 23. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into the deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is born from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because was taken from man. Thank you, Nick. Anil, how can we understand in these passages the definition of Adam, which in the Hebrew word is, means man? Some suggestions on that? Man can, of course, refer to the individual, but in many cases in the King James Version, it refers to mankind. Any other points come to mind? The word Adam actually means man, and the woman, I mean, the word given for woman is actually a variation of that word Adam. Now, I don't know the Hebrew and the Greek and all that, but I think the Hebrew word was Adama, which was for woman, and Adam, or Adam, A-D-A-M, man, woman, was Adama, A-D-A-M, with an A on the end. But we just stuck a bit on the front of man, and it's what man? I think it's talking here about the origins of mankind. This is where science has mixed with our minds or messed with our minds. God states plainly here that the origins of the human race or mankind in general uh, were in the garden and God created them from the dust of the earth. Probably important aspect is that when you read in Genesis, God gives an account of the creation and uh, in some portions of, of Genesis, it can be an overview 
of the things, you know, talking about uh, God created man. And when it says God created male and female, people can uh, sometimes take out of uh, context and saying that, oh, uh, when man was created, he was both man and female in, in that creation. But actually this is an overlook, even though, even scientifically proven, you know, how man uh, uh, has those two uh, chromosomes, which is interesting also to think of that. Okay. Will you're going to read something on us about books and their messages? The largest units in scripture are books of the Bible. Biblical books were written for different purposes and in different settings. Some served as prophetic messages. Others were compilations, such as the Psalms. Uh, there are historical books, such as First and Second Kings. And there are letters to various churches, such as those written by Paul and others. So the Bible is made up of different, not only sections, but different um, types of books. Yes, so we see here a panel that, uh, as Willis just said, there's different sections in there, and many of them are guides and lessons for different parts of our life. Glenn, would you like to read Genesis 15 and verse 1 to 5? All right, well, this is uh, from the Old Testament, of course, and it concerns Abram, who was later named Abraham. And it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. So he took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said, So shall your offspring be. Now, this is a beautiful piece of scripture. It tells how God was concerned with man's concerns. It tells me that not only was God interested in Abram, it tells me that he was interested in Lamb and Ken and Helen and Nick and Ledger and Will. It to me, tells of God's love and his desire that man should be complete. Again, another amazing uh, verse out of the scriptures. And what important themes can we find throughout this passage and throughout the book of Genesis? Well, I was just saying about one, how God cares for human beings and he does extraordinary things in order to help us. And another thing is that we have to trust God's word with all our hearts because whatever God is saying or is promising something, we have to take to heart because in his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for their salvation. And the Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation to his, uh, of his will. And they are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines and the test of experience. And the Holy Spirit 
was promised by our Savior to open the word to his servants, to illuminate and apply its teachings. Thank you, Leitche. I would just like to mention that today we are looking in the Bible and understand, you know, the language, the text and context of the written word of God. We have sometimes problems in the Christendom of uh, misunderstanding or misinterpret some of the passages in the scripture just because uh, we are um, looking from our point of view rather than to allow the Bible to speak for itself and also not to be biased. Because when you interpret Bible and put yourself and your interests in, you'll definitely inclined to give a different uh, interpretation of the Bible. And this is important, regardless where we live in the world or in which time in history. It's important to allow the Bible to speak for itself, to get the message from God to humanity. For some people, maybe boring, thinking that, oh, why, why do we need to know all those things? But because of Leaving aside these parts of the Bible, we may have a wrong theology, a wrong doctrine, a wrong understanding, and a wrong relationship with God. Because our relationship with God is also based on his teachings, on his guidance. I think that's so true, Nick. I think there's so many people asleep today. They really don't know what's going on, and they think everything's good. Lane, you wanted to add something? There's a lot of wisdom in a verse that was read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 32, where the Bible talks about applying what you read. It says what you read from the Bible. Take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day. You can read the Bible clinically. In other words, the middle verse of the Bible is this, and the shortest verse is that, Psalm 117. Now that's the shortest chapter. You can read that, but unless it affects one inside, it's a waste of time. And the recommendation for us is that we take to heart the words of Scripture. If we take to heart, then we can come to know God. Then we can uh, accept salvation. If we don't take it to heart, it's just like reading the newspaper. It doesn't make any difference to you whatsoever. That's it, folks, for today. It's today's study. We hope you all enjoyed it. We hope you look into the Word of God. We pray for each and every one that's listening that their hearts would seek the Holy Spirit of God, help them understand what they're reading and to guide them into those things they need to know. I'm just going to ask Helen to close with the word of prayer. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, We come before your throne again with grateful hearts, with thankful hearts, acknowledging that you are the great creator and that you are king and lord of our lives. Father, we thank you for the study that we've been able to look go through today, the study that helps us to understand the scriptures, perhaps to look at the words and the meanings, and, Father, to have a look at the context and help us to understand the word much, much better to look at the Bible as a whole and the messages that are in the Bible and and the fact that they speak of you right throughout the Old and the New Testament. We thank you for your love letter towards us. Father, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So if there are some that are not able to read or have access to a Bible, 
I pray that we will be used of you instrumentally to be able to share the word with them that they too can have a belief in and a life in you. Father, you, we've talked about taking to heart all the words of scripture and applying them to our lives and that is equally so, so important. And Father, we just are so, so grateful, Lord, that we have the Bible and we can, t- can continue to look at it and how we can be filled with the Spirit and learn to study the Bible and come to know the Lord that's revealed in those pages. Oh, Father, I pray that each one listening will, and all of the panel, that we will covenant with you to spend more time in your word through the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding and coming closer to you and each other. Lord, may the words of Scripture become so real in our life, Lord, that as we meditate on your word daily, that we can take them and apply them in all areas. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for communicating with us. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for each one of us. We thank you for calling us to to be your children, not to be grubs on the ground or worms, but to come up to you boldly at the throne as your children, as your princes and princesses. Thank you, Lord, for all your multiple blessings you've given us. And bless this this time of study we've had. Bless all the listeners and the panel, I pray, in the precious loving name of Jesus, and that all we do will bring honour and glory and praise to you and to you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, for your input today in this uh, Bible study. I pray to God that each one of us will uh, have a better understanding of the Word of God and will give um, a better consideration uh, in our uh, uh, lives. And I wish all our listeners to be blessed and uh, don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.